This is Bach to Bach, the podcast opening up the world of classical music one beer at a time. And we're back. So let's recognize that we've been <laughs> off the air for, I don't know, 18 months. Like Arrested Development, we have, we've gone dark. Please tell your friends to support this show. <laughs> <laughs> but we came back like a really sad phoenix, okay? <laughs> Emerged that's, from the pile of ashes. We, that's how we should start it, like like a feet like like a like a injured phoenix from the ashes, Bakhtabak has risen again. Absolutely, and just so like for those who are rejoining, uh, thank you for still caring. Let's just start with that. Yeah, and even if you don't care, we we're here to just regain you. your trust. Thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so one thing we we, we really want to do uh, is kind of catch up a little bit because a lot has changed in these eighteen months we've been off the air. And just crying in our corners. What one thing that specifically affects the 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 BOCK end of Bach to Bach? Yeah. So back in December 2018, this guy points himself, Kevin. That's Kev. Um, went to uh, a pizza place in town and got a beer and some pizza, and had a terrible reaction. To the point where my finger swelled up and I broke out in rashes, and I realized that I have a gluten intolerance. I don't have celiac, but I have a gluten gluten intolerance, which does make the beer portion of this podcast really difficult. It, um, without being a bit of a martyr. Yes, to, and so I will not be having the beers that we feature on this podcast, which puts a just a lot of pressure on me. Yeah, I'm just gonna have whiskey instead, and we'll call it good. All right. But uh, one thing I do want to point out is that basically the way it's gonna work from here on out. Sadly, because I can't enjoy beer the way I used to, um, Maddie will be the be the beer focused person, and I will become the music focused person. But in light of all that, um, in these last eighteen months, though, has been the rise of ciders and gluten free beers to a level I've I've just never seen. It's become like this humongous surge. And we've already mapped out episodes now for the n- the next the next five months. Yeah. So. And we we've included a few gluten free beers on that um, that we've, we we're I mean honestly I'm quite excited to fe- uh, to feature. Which one of those words is it? I know, right? <laughs> don't don't slip up. Okay. Um, but specifically because there's a lot of of talk around the process now of not necessarily brewing gluten free, which is quite tough to yeah. do. But uh, there are chemicals which, when uh, aged with the beer, will pull the gluten molecules that like a, a, attract them like a magnet, and that then can be filtered out. Filtered so out. you can so uh, you can a brew normally, and then just right. use these these chemicals to pull the, the gluten out of the, out exactly. Of the so a brewery process. like a mission, uh, although a, a celiac might not want to to drink the beer because uh, they they can't claim a hundred percent gluten free. It is ninety nine point nine, yeah, and someone close. who's got an intolerance could could enjoy. And and Omission brews great beer, so so we'll dive into a bunch of these breweries, uh, both ciders as well, and we'll go into just the whole realm of what's out there for gluten free drinkers because that's where I'm at, and I'm one half of this experience. 
And if you know math, that's 50%. If we're going to speak truthfully, though, it's probably best that the person uh, that is a professional musician and has a music degree speaks to the music. We just kind of take a moment to realize that that works. Yeah. So in like general music or in common classical terms, there's always the reference of the three B's, you know. Bach, Beethoven, and Bumblebees and Beehives. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say Beyonce. It's all the same. Yeah. But there's actually, it really comes down to Johannes Brahms. And Brahms was one of the most prolific composers of the 1800s. Um, born 1833. He died 1897 from Germany. He was born in Hamburg. Um, he is most notably known, aside from his music, but for his beard. His beard is tropes any hipster now it's great oh yeah it's just it is massive and he has the handlebar on top of it it's just it's perfect um the grooming is impeccable good job brahms um from the grave um but he he composed for everything i mean whether it was organ symphony orchestra uh choir um solo instruments violin cello um but he was the first one to really kind of take hold of using brass and larger larger ensemble styles this piece the academic festival overture um he composed in 1880 um in the summer and it was because he was uh awarded an honorary doctorate in philosophy from the university of and correct me if i'm wrong breslau breslau i I don't know how to pronounce it is that like the world's most useless degree Second most <laughs> uni- uh, degree in magic is first. <laughs> um, and like it, it actually was like he's not only composed for this ceremony, but he um, he conducted and then he received his award and then had an after celebration afterwards all in one day. So it was all this one big. That must it's be like, it's like, it's very like, cool. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm Brahms. Look at me. And then it's all about <laughs> himself. Um one thing that Matt brought up when we were talking and planning this episode was how much when he was in youth orchestra talking and learning about this piece, how much our conductor uh, described the style of how to kind of almost visually interpret this piece. Um, and like it sounds yeah. like a marching band coming from afar at the very beginning of it. He, he gave us, a, and it wasn't the first time, but he, he gave us a lot of opportunity. And I know you, you've done this tons of times, Multiple times uh, yeah. when you conduct as well. It's, it's the idea of giving a picture in mind so that there can be it can come out through the music and uh, when you look back to episode number one we had norman win um give us the give us the 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 visualization of what was happening in the the dance bacchanal um and uh, for me that's always been a huge uh, a huge step as far as there's playing a piece and then there's playing a piece yeah and it's funny because, like, you know, uh, Robert's description was a marching band coming from afar, but actually one of the things about Brahms was that he looked at it like as a, um, quote, a very boisterous potpourri of student drinking songs. Um, this whole this whole academic festival overture is. And basically it becomes this fanfare almost. It sounds very regal. It sounds very yeah um, prim and proper. But it actually has a lot of, I think angst is a certain word with it, um, a lot of excitement, a lot of just just almost fun and frivolity to it. 
And it's just like as it goes along, it gets more and more energy, more and more excitement. It starts off very simple, regal from afar, and then the tempo picks up a little bit, and it grows and grows and grows, and then it becomes this humongous, boisterous piece at the very end. There's those few notes of like dissonance at the end of a phrase that you get from the brass section every now and then. So, and also what's what's really funny about um, listening to this piece that it's it sounds very bold, it sounds very out there, about very almost almost pompous in some ways. But Brahms was not that kind of person. Brahms was very hated the attention. Um, so like he was he did not want to uh, actually conduct this piece. He actually asked really? someone else to conduct it. And he's like, No, this is a sign of gratitude, a sign of like doing it for yourself. No way. So he so it ended up being like Brahms wrote this, didn't want the attention for his own honorary doctorate in philosophy ceremony and ended up conducting and having the honorary doctorate award ah. and being featured afterwards. Um, this is just uh, a quick, uh, really energetic piece. It's just that kind of encompasses all that Brahms does and just on a very almost like introductory level gets you in the door for Brahms and then you can really get into the meat and potatoes of what he offers as a composer. Yeah. So, heck yeah. Go enjoy this. Go drive. Don't drive too fast. Drive like the speed limit. Don't touch your phone. Academic Festival Overture.
All right. So here's a question. Like, what what moment of that entire piece do you, like, resonate with? Uh, personally, just because my my memory of the notes relates to certain experiences, okay. I I – when it when it switches over and the the second violins are going into those sixteen that runs along mm. with the firsts, I remember that being I remember us rehearsing that over and over and over. So for me, it's a very personal experience from the inside of the orchestra. But yeah, and it's funny you said it because like um, towards the end end of that piece, um, we have like you hear the brass and and woodwinds doing this like almost like fanfare style, boisterous, really loud melody, but behind it is just. Yeah, and you don't recognize it until like you go back and listen and listen for that. But that's where all the momentum's coming from. Yeah, yeah, like, it's driving it along, and then like and you have cymbals and bass drum and, and and timpani like doing these massive hits along with the woodwinds uh, and brass. But behind it are the violins and violas just going nuts. And it's it is not an easy. Bit. And there was a part you brought up where the the bass and the cellos. Yeah. Are, in are doing their in, progression in octaves, in and yeah. I, I never realized it till honestly, I've played this piece six, seven, eight times, and um, and I didn't notice until like the eighth time, like, oh, we have octave parts, this is really cool. And the whole point of it, it brings a whole new like um texture by bringing the lower octave and down depth to it, to it yeah. as well, right? Now, now, just for, for if any of you out there don't recognize the phrase octave, um, quick little moment where uh, octave obviously the OCT that the prefix there is referring to yeah eight. you know me okay nice nice way to represent um, when, when we talk about an octave there are there are, are eight notes uh, if, we, if anyone's seen sound of music do re mi fa sol la ti do you always come back to do same thing with an octave you have a b c d e f g a uh, so when Kev says that there are they're playing in in octaves it means that while um, while the basses are playing eight notes down, if they're if they're playing a B at one level, the cellos are playing also B, but they're playing it an entire Octopire. set of notes, eight notes higher. So it's the same note, but as far as its frequency, its pitch, it is, um, it it it's it's is different. So and that lends a, a really wonderful depth to that piece right there. So just quick music one hundred and one, for said the guy without the music degree. Dude, you've played this piece a bunch. It works. You're good. You're, Appreciate that. You're cleared. You're good. Awesome. Um, okay, so I have a question for you. So we've caught up our audience. We have featured our piece for this episode. Um, so as the non-beer drinker of this of this podcast, sadly, womp womp, but I – there actually was a really cool correlation with um, the composer, Brahms, who was German – and the beer we're featuring today, which is a German style beer. Yeah, as I mean, as you guys know, we try our best to keep the the, the pieces played and the, the beer we drink as tied in as we can. You know, my, one of my favorites is when we did Stone Faces uh, Titan IPA, and we paired it with Mahler's Titan Symphony. Because themes are fun. <laughs> well, apparently, it keeps people interested. So that's what we we want to so keep. So cute. <laughs> so. Today we, uh, we 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 got a local Kolsch style. So the Kolsch is obviously from uh, from not Maine. It's from Germany, from Cologne, Germany. But it's it's brewed by Kushnick Brewing. The the um, and I I am one hundred percent gonna pronounce this wrong. But the Kriesge or the Kries Kries nailed it. 
It's spelled K R E S G E, and I, I, I'm not even gonna if attempt. If anyone knows time. how to actually say it properly, please like comment or let let us know. If anyone so from Kushnik listens to this, they should they should probably just call in. Um, so we're we're trying a Kolsch that that they. Uh, that they brew and it's it's fantastic. So, just quick backdrop in the in the last nineteen months, um, I have realized that when it's hundred and five degrees out and humid, a quadruple hopped IPA is not exactly what quenches the thirst in the middle of July. So, I've been loving pilsners and lagers, and and what's fun is that the 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 craft brewing industry has also caught on to this. They're realizing that not everyone wants. 10% ABV and just hops to the point where your mouth loses all moisture. We so want variety. We want sours. We want colses. We want all the different flavors. Yeah, oh, the sours in seen. town have come up like mad. It's fantastic. And um, yeah, so so this summer has been lagers, pilsners, and the Kolsch. I, 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 you, I've drank them, but, but man, until this episode, I didn't know anything about them, and I am fascinated. It's... I will buy the history. It's a cool story. Yeah. Okay. So it's a really cool story. All right. So our story starts out in Cologne, Germany. Now, Germany is uh, is is the mecca for for beer, right? And it and that's been a point of conversation that we've had in the past as well, where the, so a lot of brewers in Germany have felt because there's so many rules that they have to uh, be constrained to, they haven't been able to produce the 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 crazy beers that we have here in the States where we don't have the, the, the same Brewers Guild rules. So, um, but that being said, it is, it is, you know, one of the birthplaces of great beer in Germany and Cologne specifically in the 17th century started seeing the rise of, or in the popularity of, of bottom fermented beers. So just, just so we can talk quickly about, um, the, the yeasts that are used, there's, there's, uh, there's ale yeast and lagering yeast. So, so uh, if anyone's been to a brewery and you're walking by a lot of like open vat tanks, uh, there are sometimes uh, this, this, this massive gathering of foam on the top. And that, those, those, that's ale yeast. So those are as the, the yeast is eating the sugars and pooping out alcohol the like the it all that settles to the top and then you've got your lager yeasts where it's settling to the bottom instead and and each of them is working at a different temperature ale yeasts work warmer lager yeasts work colder uh which is we we briefly touched on this in our episode talking about um uh baxter's uh oh yeah uh tarnation st- yeah tarnation steam steam um uh, steam log so here we are in early 17th century Cologne, and the rise of bottom fermenting beers uh, are is, is on the rise, and all the brewers felt threatened. Um, and what do we do when we feel threatened by something that we don't understand, don't recognize, and are afraid of? We pass laws forbidding it, because that's the way to keep the world in one place and not Yay. progressing. So keeping politics completely out of this podcast. Um, no. So, uh, th- so they passed a law in Cologne saying that, and I'm, I'm going to have to get this correct, uh, they had to swear an oath that, that you prepare your beer as of old from good malt, good cereals, 
and good hops, well boiled, and that you pitch it with top yeast, and by no means with bottom yeast. Now, it was odd that they were writing this oath in English, but the Germans have always been really good at being bilingual, so. Rebecca, bottom yeast, it's a great band name. Dude, you can claim it now. Okay. Kevin's probably already checking the URL on Do this Do they play hip-hop? <laughs> so, um, what, what was funny about this, so, okay, so what this means is that they were basically restricting people to only brew with the top fermenting yeast, which produced the ales that we know, right? So... Uh, the way people got around this was that they would brew most of the way with the top fermenting yeast, and then they would finish it with the bottom fermenting ones. So they got this they got this full-bodied beer, but then they got the crispness and the clarity that you would get with these bottom fermenting yeasts. So it, it was like it's basically a mix between an ale and a lager. So um, in the in it was it was born of a way to get around the law. But it also creates this beer that's kind of the best of both worlds. Like, this is the Goldilocks of summer beers. It's yeah. really, really fun. So we're drinking Kushnuk's uh, Kolsch. And I, I, I'm just going to say it's really it, – it's exactly as they describe it. Um, it it's uh, golden with a really crisp, refreshing, fruity taste. Um, I, I, I'm not going to dive too much into the beer, but I, I, I'm more fascinated with the history in this particular episode. So I want to – I want to focus so on. At, as now the non-beer drinker of this podcast, do you feel like a Kolsch is something that people could enjoy year round or or is it dependent on like where you are or is it like, it's like a type of beer that you feel like you could drink in January and Maine and be OK with it? I think I mean, it's a solid question. I think it depends on the drinker because, I mean, you know me, I'm someone who will drink to where I am and what time of year it is. Right. So if I'm in France, I drink wine. If I'm. You know, if if you're in the Bahamas, you're drinking like you know, Corona Lime. You but know. but <laughs> oh dear God, man! But you know what I mean. Like if you're in Bermuda, Bermuda, you have dark and stormies. But um, and if it's winter, I mean, you know me. Yeah. A lot of times I'll go porter, porter stouts, stouts, darker stouter, beers. Yeah. But a Kolsch is something that if you th- you know what this is, if you've got someone you know who loves Bud, uh, any and like a like your straight up macro brew pilsners that sort of thing, and you want to give them like an entry point to craft beer. This is the, like we did this with dad when we were trying to like, we're sitting there going, what is the first craft beer we want to have him try? And to like, get his foot in the door, to get his foot in the door. So, uh, something where he r- will recognize the taste, but it's just like just that much different. Uh, a culture would be a great way to do that. So, so answer is yes. If, if you just like beer flat out year round, absolutely. It's a good thing. Um, but it does. It's one of those beers that in the summer, if you're sick of the heavy IPAs, this is a really nice alternative. Again, one, what we're drinking today is 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 a uh, Kolsch brewed by Kushnuk Brewing. So one of the fun things about the tradition behind how this beer is consumed back in Cologne um, is so again the tr- the traditional way this is is put out to uh, to drinkers is in a is in that tall thin cylindrical. Uh, 20 centiliter glass, uh, which we've all uh, probably, I think everyone's probably seen at one point or another, especially either in photos or in person, but it's called a, a okay. And again, we're, we're, we're bad at this, but I think it's pronounced stung. So S T A N G E, which means either spike or rod. So it's that, that tall kind of spike glass. So the way the tradition works is that the server comes around 
And if your glass is empty without asking, and I love the sound of this, but it's such a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, so you, cool. if your glass is empty, they bring you a new one. Like, and it just keeps coming without, without pause. If you finish it, a new one comes out. Um, and what happens is on your coaster, they make a little nick for every refill that you've had. And when you're done uh, with, with all your cultures, you just, and you don't want any more refills, you just put the coaster on top of the glass and they charge you for all the nicks you've got in your coaster, which I just think is a fun, easy way. You don't need to constantly wave someone down to try to get a refill. It's just, if your glass is empty, you get a refill until you're done, until you call it, and it's just, what a, what a. F- it's simple, but it's, it's just, it's, it's like what drinking culture is, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and especially how it's, uh, how it's run in, in other parts of the world. So this was a lot of fun to research this. Again, uh, the, the, the type of beer we're drinking is a Kolsch, K-O-L-S-C-H. It's a German beer, originally came from Cologne, Germany. And this is one of those brews that is that is protected um, b- uh, in the European Union, just like Champagne, like Bordeaux. Uh, within the EU, you can't brew a beer and call it a Kolsch if you're not from the Cologne region, just like you can't brew a sparkling white wine and call it Champagne if you're not from the Champagne region. Obviously, we can do it in the U.S. We're outside of that jurisdiction, but that's a nice little protection of the tradition of the beer where it came from is uh, that if, if, if it's not from the Cologne region, you can't call it Kolsch. And that's one thing with this podcast, like I'm really excited about, about the history of the beers. We, we know about the kinds of beers. We know about the, the breweries, like the, like the history behind, like how they were made in the first place is such a cool idea that like, I think it's not talked about enough. And I'm really excited to explore that avenue moving forward because like this new season yeah, has yeah. so many exciting ideas um looking at what we have coming up for the rest of the season we have you know we have uh debbie la mer with some cider we have um we have look schubert's great symphony we have the bear violin concerto uh we have mozart requiem we have i'm excited whole, for a, mozart a whole requiem. month of benjamin Britten um and his works we have uh, Chopin, we have Copeland, we have, you know, we have Bernstein, we have the, the whole gamut of composers yeah. and, and beers, ciders, gluten-free beers to go along with all of those to make sure there's, there's a way that you can connect with classical music that fits your lifestyle and that it's not just only for the concert hall, but fits your day-to-day life. And just like we don't want people going into a brewery and feeling intimidated about well, I don't, I don't like IPAs. I'm not going to belong here. Who give? Who cares? Yeah. Drink what you like. Drink what tastes good to you. And the same thing with the music. Listen to music that sounds good to you. We're going to try to expose you to as much variety and depth as we possibly can. And you get to pick. And you can you can write us, tell us like I wasn't really a huge fan of that song, or you know. Rom sucks. You can say that. That's okay. And, and there are composers okay. like that that you will not like. And honestly, we have not featured Mozart at all on this podcast we really yet. Haven't, because haven't we? I personally hate Mozart, but I know yeah. he wrote some incredible works. So we will dive into that avenue later on towards the holiday season. Um, 
but going into things like, you know, there will be times where we want to hear from you about what do you like? What class are you drawn to? What are you? In fact, we're always wanting to hear that from you guys. But until the next time, this has been another episode of Bach to Bach. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We'll be right back.